You're listening to the Bridge Christian Fellowship Message Archive. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Seattle. For more information, visit thebridgeseattle.org. Today's message is Ephesians 4 by Pastor Dan Dameron, given on June 11, 2017. Here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I say this and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 
So that was a big old block of text, as you may have noticed. Um, and there's going to be several things that I'm not even going to address. So if there's some stuff in there and you're like, hey, what about this? Uh, you can buy me coffee, and we will talk about it as long as you keep the coffee coming. Um, the interesting thing, I think, about this chapter coming after the other ones is that as impressive, both in literary terms and theology, theological terms, as chapters one through three were, you could almost just say that they're the lead-in or the preface uh, to chapters four through six. Um, we talked a bit about in the previous weeks about the different style that Paul was using uh, here than in some of his other letters. And so uh, one guy that I particularly like, named Ben Witherington, he says that the exhortatio, and I'm probably saying that wrong, um, replaces the formal arguments that Paul would normally use to lead into paranesis. What that means is that, so in... Romans say Paul has a, a set of formal arguments about why he is right, and then he says, and because of that, do this. In this one, he uses the epideutic language. He uses kind of this just pep talk uh, stuff to say, hey, we're, we're already basically on the, same on, on the same page with this, so now we're excited about it. We're excited about uh, having been saved by, by grace, we're excited about being one new people made out of these uh, people who were formerly at odds. Now that I've got you uh, charged up, here's what you do with it. Um, a, an ancient rhetorician named Quintilian uh, talked about this. He said, what is praised in the former is advised in the latter. So it, Paul's following a, a fairly normal script. We get Everybody happy about the basic concept, and, and now we have to say, what does that mean? And what it means is walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So the whole thing up to this point has been the, the calling that we've been brought into, um, and because of the great thing that God has done, we need to walk with humility and gentleness, with patience, uh, and bearing with one another in love. I think this is, uh, that last part is an important thing uh, because it tells you that Paul is not unrealistic. Um, so bearing with one another in love, uh, I think sometimes people say, you know, bear one another's burdens. Well, that's other places. What this one is, put up with each other because you love each other, even though what they're doing drives you crazy. So. Paul does not have a rose-colored glasses idea of like, oh yeah, we're all just hanging out and everything's fun and, and everybody's nice. No, we're, we're not all nice. Uh, the as we said in the first three chapters, and, and it keeps going, this is a mixed group. You got people of different uh, ethnic backgrounds, you got people from different cultural backgrounds, you got people at different stages in their spiritual walk, um, you got uh, people rooting for different sports teams. Um, <laughs> And, and also, you just have, you know, anytime you put multiple people in a room, there's going to be disagreement. And I think it's, it's really important that Paul acknowledges that. He's not saying everything's going to be peaches and cream now because you've been called to this. Because you've been called to this, the, 
the ability for you to do the right thing is now here. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So you have to pursue that. It, it isn't something that just happens. I lived, uh, for three different years, I was roommates with a guy named Dave, and we probably were the best roommates that could have, uh, that could have been, um, just in our, in our personality. Our inter- we had a lot of similar interests, but we also had some, some complementary things. So, for example, Dave would go uh, about once a month, every five weeks, on, on kind of a uh, cleaning fugue. <laughs> he would just kind of snap and, and wipe every surface in, in the place with bleach water and tidy up everything, whereas I kind of would go along day to day and pick up some things. And normally that worked really well. Uh, and we both objectively would have said, hey, this is working out together. But for, for me, in the four weeks until the next cleaning feud came, I was like, man, Dave has not done a dish or picked up anything in three and a half weeks. Uh, and then, you know, I think the day after one of his cleaning feuds, <laughs> they would be like, I just cleaned everything. How come there's something out again? So we can see even when we are, uh, even the people that we do like a lot, even the people that we do play video games until 4 a.m. with, uh, and even the people who are doing things in a way that objectively we think works out well, uh, on any given day, uh, we want to punch them. And so that's why Paul says, put up with one another in love. Maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we do that because, Paul says, there's one body and one Spirit. You are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The only thing that makes it work for all of us, because it's not our best friend's uh, only that we're dealing with, that we can kind of overcome that stuff. But it's also people that in our natural personalities, in our natural selves, we would, we would never even want to share an elevator with. And so we need that to happen. But Paul is also pointing out that this is a calling. It's not just a rule book. There, there are a lot of things in this chapter that Paul is saying, do, you know, don't do that, do this. But it's not just a checklist of things to do. It's it's the way that your life looks when you actually believe in your calling. Um, Paul is writing an ethic for a subculture that is at odds with the surrounding culture. The primary clash uh, for the uh, churches in Asia Minor at this time is the idea of humility versus honor. So for the Greeks, also for the Romans, because... uh, by and large, the Romans were just trying to be Greeks who were better at war. Um, gentleness or meekness, humility, not only was that not considered a virtue, it was considered an error. It was considered to be something to be spot. Why would you not grab for all that you can? Um, and I think that's still largely the case uh, for us in, uh, in Western societies today. There may be a thing of uh, kind of lip service to being humble, but really um, reminds me of a commercial uh, I saw a little bit earlier this year. It was 
uh, it was actually a series of commercials. Uh, the one I remember particularly was, was James Harden uh, from the Rockets, and he was, and the whole thing was like, people, piddle, people criticize me for showboating or over-celebrating, but you wouldn't really want me to not to because that'd be boring and dumb. So, and that's uh, not quite to the level of the, of the Greek or Roman idea, but it is pretty much like the ones who rise uh, in our society are by and large the ones who promote themselves. Instead, Paul says, pursue this with gentleness and meekness and humility. Don't try to put yourself over. Because any time that you try to raise yourself up, there's no way that there is unity when, when everybody's trying to get on top. And uh, more importantly in that, grace was given to each according to the measure of Christ's gift. What does that mean? It means that even the things that we do rise above on, even our, our gifts and our talents, um, are for the sake of building up the body. There's a diversity within that unity. We have different gifts and roles that he's going to talk about in, in just a second. But all those differences are for the sake of, of the group as a whole. So he lists off the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, and that they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. I, I just said the word talents, and our word talents comes from the parable of, of the talents. And that's uh, a parable that Jesus told about these servants, and a king was going away. He, he gave them talents, which is a certain weight of silver. It's a large amount of, of money. And he said, take care of this stuff while I'm gone, and then when I come back, let me know what you did with it. And the point of, the point of that um, parable is that our gifts are to be used and to, and to be grown, not to be hoarded for our own sake. And, and that coined a word in, in English for us. So, the, the gifted roles, whatever we have that is of value, in this case, the specific um, church roles of apostle or prophet or evangelist, pastor or teacher, those roles are designed so that all the saints are prepared to minister to each other in the world, and thereby everybody is able to work to build up the body. So the only reason that we have any of these things is so that everybody is better equipped to build everybody up, to get to a point of, of maturity. And it says mature manhood, and that's a, that's a call, book, call back to the picture where Paul says, there is a, a new man, there's one new person uh, made out of everybody that we were, now we're, we're pulled together into one. As opposed to that um, is immaturity that he talks about. He says, you know, don't be kind of, maybe our term would be prolonged adolescence, um, where you're unstable, you're easily swayed, you're easily confused, you're easily deceived. There's uh, different people that Paul sees um, in, in the different churches, so he's not addressing any specific situation in this general uh, context, but there's been several spots that he's written about that he's addressed uh, in person where there are people eager to take advantage. Um, and, and that kind of just makes sense, right? That, what, what did we say about the, the culture and the subculture? The general culture is, oh, I have some gifts um, in this situation of uh, being persuasive in speech or being you know, charismatic in personality. And he says, if, if you are immature, that allows 
somebody else who's immature but gifted to, to mess up the whole situation. So we all need to be pursuing maturity to protect the body at large. And, and then he brings together his two analogies of, of the body and of the building. So he's using um, like carpentry terms when he talks about the body kind of being a, a self-building thing, which kind of makes me think of scary self-aware AI spawning, you know, Skynet kind of thing. But it's all right. It's, it's not that. It's because Christ is still the head of it. Um, he, he feels it's important to talk about the opposing way of walking. So you walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It looks like unity. It looks like turning your gifts toward um, the whole. But as the Gentiles do, uh, and in this usage, you know, again, Paul's, I think he's given his bona fides for not just bashing Gentiles as, uh, as a Jew, thinking that he's higher. But it, he's using it in, in, in this sense just what everybody does when they are not connected to God. He says that they have a futility in their minds. And this is a, the Greek word here is mataiotes. I'm sure that's not very similar. But uh, the word futility is translated from that, and that was a standard term for Jewish teachers at the time when talking about kind of paganism in general, that, it, that it's futile, that it, uh, it's, it's also the word that they used when they translated the Old Testament into Greek. Um, it's the one in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says everything, it's, it's vanity or it's emptiness. So all these other pursuits are ultimately empty or hollow, and if you pursue those things, uh, then your understanding is, is darkened. You're basically blind, and you're alienated from God because you're calloused or jaded. And I, I, think, I think about what it is to be in a society where you get, to, you get to know everything that's happening, and it's almost impossible not to get a little bit calloused. You know, if, if you're in a small town, like, like where I'm from, and, and before you carried the whole internet in your pocket, um, you didn't know necessarily what was happening everywhere else in the world, and so you could see a problem right in front of you, and you could think, oh, I can do something about that, or we as a group can do something about that. Now we're in a society where, um, you know, why, why is it news for us that uh, several city blocks burned down on the other side of the world? There's nothing we can do about that. It had no impact on us. And because there's no direct ability to do anything about it, but we see these terrible things, war here, natural disaster there, um, there's really no, no other response except to get a little jaded, to, to grow a thicker skin, to protect ourselves. And when that happens to too great an extent, then we, we have this protective insensitivity, and that insensitivity then leads us into these various sins, because uh, we have had to cut off our, our natural compassion, and if that goes too far without a supernatural infusion, then I think, oh, I, I just got to take care of myself. I can't, I can't do anything about all these problems in the world. So instead of that, we have this calling to say, hey, we are brought in by God with that power that raised Jesus from the grave, and something can happen, and we can be a group that all works for the betterment of each other and not have to protect ourselves. And Paul says to put off the old way of life and to put on the new one. 
This is, um, this is a phrase that I really enjoy. I think of it as, um, as a uniform. When you, when you leave one team and you join a new team, you, you probably want to change uniforms. Um, and we have left the team of the world, and we've, and we've, gotten, to, we've gotten called up to the team of God's kingdom. And that's an amazing thing. And you, you don't want to be, you don't want to be confused about what team you're on, and you don't want your teammates to be confused about what team you're on. Uh, think about it in a pickup game. You don't have uniforms, and so you know if you're playing ultimate with a bunch of people, and there's two guys with almost identical shirts, um, and you throw it to the wrong guy sometimes because you thought it was your teammate. That's not what we want to have happen. We don't want to uh, do something for the wrong team. In, in John 17, verse 22 and 23, Jesus uh, is doing a public prayer before his apostles. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So this unity that Paul is calling us to, to be eager to build the unity of the of the Spirit is our uniform. It's what lets the world know, uh, well, you know, one big, huge thing that he says, it's what lets the world know that Jesus is who he said he was, and it lets the world know that we are part of what he's doing. If we aren't doing that, then the world doesn't know what team we're on. They get confused about that. So I just saw a news story, and I don't know why I bothered to read it, um, but there was a big kerfluffle because Justin Bieber was wearing a Penguins uh, uh, hockey sweater, and he's from, he's from Toronto? Yeah, so he should have been wearing a Leafs sweater, and he was like, I don't care, you know, I can root for whoever I want. But it, it causes some consternation for people when you wear the wrong jersey, you know, you don't want to... You don't want to walk into a Seahawks game wearing another jersey in, uh, unless you're planning to go back to your other city. Um, we have, you know, we have enemy colors uh, on the sports front in our, in our midst right now. What do we do with that? Um, but, sport, you know, sports are obviously trivial in the grand scheme of things. What people know about our team uh, in spiritual terms may be transformative. If, if we are consistent and they see that uniform day in, day out, if somebody at your work, so, uh, some neighbor, sees the way that you behave and it is, it is different, it defines you, it is the other team's uniform from what they experience, that can change their life. Or, if you don't put on the same uniform every morning, if, if your coworkers or your neighbors never know who's coming out of that door, which uh, which jersey you'll be wearing, then you're not going to, that will undermine your ability to impact them and their lives. So, then, next section, Paul says, therefore, um, because of that, because we have these different ways of walking, here are some paired opposites of ways that that looks. Uh, verse 25, the other walk is falsehood, the new walk is truth. 26 and 27, the old walk is resentment or uh, losing it, and the new walk is self-control. Verse 28, the old walk is stealing, 
And maybe, you know, maybe in our situation that's not literally shoplifting or something, but, you know, taking and the new walk is generosity. Verse 29 and 30, the old walk is tearing down, the new walk is building up. What are we using our speech for? And then verse 30 and 32, the old walk is, is malice, the new walk is love. And that continues on into chapter 5 we'll talk about next week. With all these things, um, what, what practically should we be doing about that right now? The first one is, is walk the talk. So there's the calling. There's the talk. We have been called. It's God's talk that brings us in, and then hopefully we talk about that. But we also have to, we have to walk in a way that is worthy of that calling. We need to have lives that are consistent with chapters 1 through 3. And, and the major thing in that is unity. Unity does not mean conformity or really even similarity. You know, Paul talks a lot about that in, in this book and in other places. You, know, you came from all these different things, but now you're one. Not because we are uh, stamped into a new, identical, little gingerbread man shape, but because the thing that we now have in common trumps the things that divided us in the past. And because of that, we have the power of God to be able to put up with one another. Um, what a, whatever things that would normally make us at odds, we have been given the power of the Spirit to be able to instead be kind and tender-hearted in those times. The fact that we have different roles and, and gifts and, and personalities no longer needs to divide us. It actually uh, lets us build up closer to this By the injunction to, uh, to be angry but not sin. Uh, again, Paul is not unrealistic. He doesn't say, um, so I have an aunt, and she is a great lady, and I love her a lot. But she used to do the thing where, you know, she would like, close her finger in the door, and she would be like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> and if you are able, I guess, to actually say in your mind, I am praising God because, hey, my finger didn't get cut off by the door or something, then, then I suppose that's great. But what it comes off as, and especially when I was younger, what I always felt like whenever she would do that, is like, just say something bad. <laughs> you know, just say that is not what I wanted to have happen. You know, I am in pain, and in a very condensed form, I'm going to express I am in pain. I didn't like it. Let's move on. Um, so Paul knows that things are going to happen, and we are going to be angry, and we need to not pretend that we are not. Um, even the traits that make us good uh, at, at the different things, that make us valuable to the group, are the same traits that are going to drive somebody crazy. So, being, it's, it's essential that somebody's good at being organized, but somebody else in the group uh, at certain times is going to be driven crazy because they say, oh, they're so uptight and OCD. It's very important uh, that some people are relationally focused, but for somebody else in the group, they're going to be like, every time we're supposed to meet, they're always late because they go over with somebody else that they were talking to, or they strike up a conversation with somebody on the street, and I'm cool in my heels. Even the things 
that are best and being used by God for the body uh, at some points will drive people crazy. What that means, and this is, this is the thing I say most, I say awareness and control. In, in all kinds, of, it started out as, uh, when I was younger, as strictly like a body awareness. Be aware that, you know, you're spinning around knocking stuff down. Control your body, be aware of what's around you, and, and control your body. As he's getting a little older, I've started to use it in, in more things. Be aware of the impact of your actions and control what you do so that it, it makes things go the way you want them, not just flailing around. Uh, it's... It's very unfortunate how much flailing around uh, we tend to do as humans. How much of what we do isn't a thought-out decision of this will drive forward the agenda that I think is valuable. Instead, it's just like, blah! Um, we, are, we are going to get angry about things. Control your response. So I always bring this up, and I don't know if people think that I'm trying to like use the, the road rage thing as a as like a, here's a confession, but it's not really bad. For me, I actually think it's, the reason I bring it up is because it is a consistent failing that I think really says something about me that's not good. I'm not, I, it, on, it, on its face, it's kind of trivial because I don't roll down the window. You know, I, I usually am not trying to get that person to see what I'm saying to them. I'm just saying it. But, what possible advantage can there be for me to let myself get worked up, to say horrible, horrible things, um, you know, five minutes later, an hour later, how has that driven forward the mission of God? Not at all. And yet I let myself do it over and over. It's just a flailing. And I'm breaking little things inside my head. I'm breaking self-control. I'm breaking... Uh, appropriateness. I am sometimes breaking my example that I'm supposed to be in front of my children when I forget that they're in the back seat and I say that I wish someone would catch on fire. Um, I need to control my response and then when it's not somebody in a car who never saw me and never will care, but when it's somebody that we are directly in contact with, control your immediate response and then move quickly towards reconciliation. So, for me, that one of those paired opposites is probably the, the biggest one. Um, maybe there are other ones in there that, that resonate more for you in your daily life. So normally around now, we would have some questions on the screen to think about, to try to process the thing. Um, for one thing, the, you know, the passage was just, was just massive this morning. Uh, and also, I, I just decided one one wrapping up question that isn't up there. As you go through this next week, in any point of crisis or tension or moral question that you have, just ask yourself, what uniform is my response to this stressor displaying? Am I showing the world, my neighbors, my coworkers, whoever they may be, Am I showing them a consistent uniform of the team that I am supposed to be on that I say I'm on? Or am I switching jerseys in a way that's confusing and unhelpful?
Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about The Bridge, or to listen to any message from our complete archive, visit thebridgeseattle.org.